The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dalamore. All right. Welcome to this special, very special makeup bonus episode for what's normally our loyal Patreon audience, but this is going out to all of you on this Valentine Day. All of you. I am your host, Jesse Dollimore. This is I Doubt It with Dollimore. Sitting across from me, filled with Valentine love, Brittany Page. Hello. <laughs> this is the coverage of the, I had to write it down because the numbers are getting so high, the sixth Democratic debate and the ninth Republican debate all wrapped up into one tasty little package. Mm-hmm. This is a good way to kind of juxtapose the two parties, right? Well, yeah, I guess it is. I mean, that's not the purpose of the show, but... We only have two clips from the Democratic debate because, as I put on the Facebook page, it was kind of a snoozer. It was kind of a snoozer, yes. And I guess some some people would say that that's, that's what you want yes. in a debate with your politicians, that's the people a good who thing. are going to lead mm-hmm. your country. They behave like adults. That's right. There isn't any fireworks. No. Well, there well, was some. There was a little bit. Yeah. We're going to cover that. Very, very little. Very minor. But a lot of the Dem debate was also a repeat. It's things you've heard before, very much similar to the last debate. So if there's nothing new going on, then we're not going to continue to just discuss the, the same old talking points that you keep hearing. That's right. And also because there's only two of them, so there's less opportunity right. for conflict, mm-hmm. for consternation, if you will. Yes, So let's start with, we'll just do the debate episode as though it's its own thing, and then we'll start over and just attach um, or attack the the Republican debate like it's its own thing without an intro. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I I do know what you mean. You do know what I mean. So takeaways and winners and losers. I guess we kind of did just... Cover the takeaways, did we not? Or is that just always what I think? Um, no, that could be considered <laughs> the takeaways. Um, I think that, you know, like we said, a lot of this was kind of the same thing that you've you've heard quite a bit. But there was some back and forth between Hillary and Bernie. Um, why don't we like pick a favorite moment well, the, from the debate? Let's do this. There was a lot more hugging of Barack Obama Oh, from Hillary. In this, in this debate. From Hillary. I think both sides were really trying to saddle up next to the president and align themselves as if they're not an ally of the president. And and Hillary, although she did do most of the hugging, she also tried to distance uh, Bernie Sanders from the, our current sitting president, mm-hmm. which is, and we'll get to this, but completely fucking ridiculous because Obama is a progressive. Bernie Sanders is beyond a progressive. Mm-hmm. You're not going to... I mean, Barack Obama, save maybe FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, 
Obama's probably the most liberal president since FDR. Mm-hmm. So if, if, if Bernie Sanders is aligned with any president, it would be Barack Obama. Right, and Hillary be- made a, she made a, a very, several attempts to try to distance, put distance between those two. Right. And because Bernie Sanders has sometimes made comments saying, you know, someone should run against Barack Obama when he tried to get reelected, you know, or I haven't been a fan of this or this. Those are somehow reasons to hate him. Um, (laughs) But Bernie Sanders had a good comeback to Hillary Clinton when he said, yeah, I'm not the one who ran against him for president. We will get to that. Okay. Well, I'm ruining everything. No need to play the clip, everybody. Well, they also had um, (laughs) an exchange over Henry Kissinger, which was pretty heated. And uh, Bernie Sanders kind of est on Hillary Clinton a little bit for having such a great relationship or great fondness for Henry Kissinger. Right, just because they held the same job. Right, and I remarked during the debate that, oh, Christopher Hitchens would be really excited <laughs> by what Bernie Sanders was saying about Henry Kissinger. Right. So let's get on with this. Well, how about who won? All right. I always do that. That's why I'm here. I believe Hillary Clinton won this. I think it's, as always, it's the way it is. She edged just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, do I have to give an answer? Okay. Um, so 538. How about I just give 538? God damn. You do that every time. <laughs> you won't commit to an answer. Um, that's fine. Tell me what Nate Silver thought. Wh- no, this is everybody at 538. They all give a grade. But the average grade among everybody working there um, was a B plus for Hillary Clinton and a B for Bernie Sanders. So, so just barely. Just barely for Hillary. You are right. Once again. Anyway. All right. Well, the first clip is a question. To Hillary Clinton about free college and who's going to pay. And this is where it things started breaking down for Bernie Sanders. Where she really put it in a way that was very easily understood. That this free college idea of Bernie Sanders, while utopic and wonderful to think about and talk about as a concept, might not be feasible based on the current political climate and the way that our our republic is set up. Once I'm in the White House, we will have enough political capital to be able to do that. But I am conscious of the fact that we have to also be very clear, especially with young people, about what kind of government is going to do what for them and what it will cost. Senator. Well, Secretary Clinton, you're not in the White House yet. And let us be clear that every proposal that I have introduced has been paid for. For example, who in America denies that we have an infrastructure that's crumbling? Roads, bridges, water systems, wastewater plants? Who denies that? Who denies that real unemployment today, including those who have given up looking for work and are working part-time, is close to 10%? Who denies that African-American youth unemployment, real is over 50%. We need to create jobs. So yes, I will do away with the outrageous loopholes that allow profitable multinational corporations to stash billions of dollars in the Cayman Islands and Bermuda and in a given year pay zero, zero in federal income tax. Yeah, I'm going to do away with that. We'll use those proceeds, 100 billion a year, to invest in rebuilding our infrastructure. Yes, I believe that as a result of the illegal behavior on Wall Street, 
that they are a Wall Street that drove this country into the worst economic downturn since the Great Recession, Great Depression. Yeah, I do believe that now, after the American people bailed Wall Street out, yes, they should pay a Wall Street speculation tax so that we can make public colleges and universities tuition free. We bailed them out. Now it is their time to help the middle class. Now, all of that sounds great. Who would disagree with the the platitudes that were extolled by the very honest, very stand-up Bernie Sanders? Mm-hmm. Here's what's getting ready to happen. <laughs> Hillary Clinton, who I have no love for, <laughs> explains very adroitly just how pie in the sky his entire plan is. Yes, it's positive. Yes, it's great to believe those things. But how are you going to put that into action? You know, I I think, again, both of us share the goal of trying to make college affordable for uh, all young Americans. Uh, And I've set forth a compact that would do just that for debt-free tuition. We differ, however, on a couple of key points, Uh, one of them being that if you don't have some agreement within the system from states and from families and from students, it's hard to get to where we need to go. And Senator Sanders' plan really rests on making sure that governors like Scott Walker contribute $23 billion on the first day to make college free. I'm a little skeptical about your governor actually caring enough about higher education to make any kind of commitment like that. So, she's right. She's 100% correct. Because the president isn't king of America, or queen in this case. Mm -hmm. They're not royalty. Not only do they have to deal with, contend with, come to some agreement with, work with Congress... They also have to work with the framework of having states, individual states with their own governments in place, with governors and state legislatures and state senates or the single unicameral (laughs) legislative body in Nebraska. Mm -hmm. But it's not it's not as easy as just I believe this should be the case, which is all that he says. I believe this should be the case. Yeah, that's awesome. But how do you put it in place? So she just questioned, this is the deal. You've got governors and you just, she knows the, the writing on the wall. You're not going to be able to do it. And Bernie Sanders comes back and rather than explain exactly how he would navigate those obstacles, he says this. Okay, well, before you do that, I want to say something about her talking about the uh, the plan for free college and how Scott Walker wouldn't support that. Uh, last year, a survey conducted by Gallup and published by Inside Higher Ed found that 39% of community college presidents believed that their state legislature was likely to support the plan, even with federal support. So that's not a lot. Um, right, and it's also, I think that's optimistic thinking, that... So their college presidents, they, they have their finger on the pulse. Are, they, are these all political science, higher, higher educated political scientists? I mean, it just. Oh, so you're questioning whether or not they should have even been surveyed here? Yeah. Wh- who the, why do they have 
a better sense of their state legislature than someone who's actually in politics. They're not in politics. They run colleges. Isn't that somewhat of a political job where you're tied to having an understanding of funding and funding coming from the state? I mean, these are community college presidents. Sure. Yeah. But this isn't just about community college. This is about all public colleges and universities. Well, right. Well, well, this is just saying that like Wisconsin, where she's talking about Scott Walker, is one of the states where free community college wouldn't get much support. Forget about making all public colleges mm-hmm. free. Sure. So if they're not even going to be supporting free community college in terms of making all public colleges right. free. Sure. Well, that seems like a, a difficult task well, for sure and you're also you don't want to you don't want to bet on this and then have it completely fall apart so mm-hmm. people just need to understand the reality of it and also for the fact that like i was saying earlier and we're going to get to the clip here when when challenged with this logic when challenged here's an opportunity bernie sanders to make your case how would you do it this is what he says oh the next <laughs> We're going to, I think... Brief, a brief response. Very brief. Thank you. Here's where we are with public education. 100, 150 years ago, incredibly brave Americans said, you know what? Working class kids, low income kids, should not have to work in factories or on the farms. Like rich kids, they deserve to get a free education. And that free education of extraordinary accomplishment was from first grade to 12th grade. The world has changed. This is 2016. In many ways, a college degree today is equivalent to what a high school degree was 50, 60 years ago. So, yeah, I do believe that when we talk about public education in America today, in a rapidly changing world, we should have free tuition at public colleges and universities. That should be a right of all Americans, regardless of the income of their families. So a lot of flowery, emotionally driven language. They do deserve free public education through college. They deserve that, he says. I do believe that blah, 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 blah. We should have free. Yeah, we should maybe. But you completely skirted the issue, unlike Bernie Sanders. You pivoted to, again, the emotional appeal of it and not the nuts and bolts of the political reality that we face, how are you going to convince a governor like Scott Walker to do that? To release 23, if her number is right, $23 billion on day one of your plan. And this is an area where I think Bernie you know, doesn't look good next to Hillary because he says these things that are really great. You know, he talks about income inequality and he goes on all those lines that he has. He says all the right things. And then you're like, yeah, I I really agree with these points, but what are we going to do about it? Yeah, How are we going to do it? And then it, it seems to be lacking. The message seems to be lacking there a bit. Yeah, for sure. All right. So next up, it is a question that was asked of Bernie Sanders or of both of the candidates of if you could pick one American leader for whom you have deep respect and reverence and one foreign that you really respect, who would they be? He gave his answers. I believe he said FDR and Nelson Mandela. And then she answered and really pivoted. This is where this is toward the end of the debate where 
she really tried to, as we were talking about earlier, put some distance between Bernie Sanders and Barack Obama. I certainly agree with uh, FDR for all the reasons Senator Sanders said, and I agree uh, about the role that he played both in war and in peace on the economy and uh, defeating uh, fascism uh, around the world. I would choose Nelson Mandela for his generosity of heart, his understanding of the need for reconciliation. But I want to I follow up on something having to do with leadership because, you know, Today, Senator Sanders said that President Obama failed the presidential leadership test. And this is not the first time that he has criticized President Obama. Uh, in the past, he's called him weak. He's called him a disappointment. He uh, wrote a foreword for a book that uh, basically argued uh, voters should have buyer's remorse when it comes to uh, President Obama's uh, leadership and legacy. And I just couldn't agree, <coughs> disagree uh, more. Uh, with uh, those kinds of comments. You know, from my perspective, maybe because I understand what President Obama inherited, not only the worst financial crisis, but the antipathy of the Republicans in Congress, I don't think he gets the credit he deserves for being a president who got us out of that ditch, put us on firm ground, and has sent us into the future. And it is a... The kind of criticism that we've heard from Senator Sanders about our president, I expect from Republicans. I do not expect from someone running for the Democratic nomination to succeed, President Obama. That is... Madam Secretary, that is a low blow. Translation, you just hit me right in the balls. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, he's going to go on. And I think makes a very cogent case for the fact that he is an Obama supporter and his allegiance to our president should not be taken into question. And it really was a, a shitty, politically calculated move. Mm-hmm. I have worked with President Obama for the last seven years. When President Obama came into office, we were losing 800,000 jobs a month, 800,000 jobs a month. We had a $1.4 trillion deficit, and the world's financial system was on the verge of collapse. As a result of his efforts and the efforts of Joe Biden against unprecedented, I was there in the Senate, unprecedented Republican obstructionism, we have made enormous progress. But you know what? Last I heard, we lived in a democratic society. Last I heard, a United States senator had the right to disagree with a president, including a president who has done such an extraordinary job. So I have voiced criticisms. You're right, maybe you haven't. I have. But I think to suggest that I have voiced criticism, this blurb that you talk about, you know what the blurb said? Blurb said that the next president of the United States has got to be aggressive in bringing people in to the political process. That's what I said. That is what I believe. (laughs) President Obama and I are friends. As you know, he came to Vermont to campaign for me when he was a senator. I have worked for his re-election, his first election, and his re-election. But I think it is really unfair to suggest that I have not been supportive of the president. I have been a strong ally on him, with him, on virtually every issue. 
Do senators have the right to disagree with the president? Have you ever disagreed I, with you know, a president? Senator, I suspect you may. Senator, have. what I what I am short, short, what I am concerned about shorter is not not disagreement on issues. Saying that this is what I'd rather do. I don't agree with the president on that. Calling the president weak, calling him a disappointment, calling several times that he should have a primary opponent when he ran for re-election in 2012. You know, I think that goes further than saying we have our disagreements. As a we, senator, yes, so, I was a senator. I understand we can disagree on the path forward. But those kinds of personal oh. assessments and charges are ones that I find well, senator, uh, particularly like troubling. To, I mean, you may respond to that, but it's time now for closing statements. And you can use your time for closing statements well, to do that. One of us ran against Barack Obama. I was not that candidate. Really, really good. And if you see what he did there, he's putting it in perspective. One of us actually ran against, campaigned against, thought that they weren't good enough for America, that you were good enough for America. That you were better for America. That's Yeah, that's a better way to put it. You were better for America than Barack Obama. Now, it's a whole different tune you're singing Mm -hmm. when you ran against him. Right. And all kinds of things were said. There was an entire controversy around things that Bill Clinton said that were borderline, or at least some people thought borderline racist. Talking about, in a sideways way, the country not being ready for a black president and that this is a fantasy land or something, I think, were the words he used. Mm -hmm. So... It was a good blow, and it was nice that it happened at the very end of the of the debate, too. Because it, it left him on a high note. It did leave him on a high note, because really, he, if Bernie Sanders was struggling ever in a debate, this was the one. So, that is it for the Republican, or for the Democrats, as it were. Go ahead, sorry. No, I just want to say one thing. Um, I think the reason that Hillary is going so hard with making sure that people are associating her with Barack Obama is because his approval rating is north of 80% among Democrats. So they love him. Right. And And even higher probably among among blacks. And they're moving into the Southern primaries now where they're the, the, the population of blacks is much, much higher than it is in Iowa and New Hampshire. Right. So she wants people who love Obama to love her for loving Obama. That's right. So, Republican debate, takeaways? Uh, that's a quick transition. Um, uh, what, what, what other way would there be? Okay, so the Republican debate... Here, I'll play a little music. Yeah, the wham rap. Um, <laughs> so, it was a living hell disaster. It was... Is the major takeaway for me. It was so unbelievable. They were like children. I mean, it, it was... Looking at most of the people up there, yeah, I was well, wondering. You say, you say they were like children. I think it's all predicated upon the, the presence of, of of Donald Trump. Do you not? Okay. Well, yes, it is. But the thing is, they were responding to him in a way where they were engaging him well, and you, encouraging it. You have to, though, otherwise he run. He has the bully pulpit. He speaks, and everyone's silent, and then it makes him look like this strong, powerful man. Well, what about you how John? What about how John Kasich handles it? He didn't get shouted down by Donald Trump. All right, he stays out of everything. Right, and he's also in fifth place. 
right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't win if you remain silent where Donald Trump is involved. I'm not saying remain silent, but there were things where Donald Trump's like, well, you know what? I'm disinviting Donald Trump to my thing. And well, that, then and Don Sure, that was childish. And then Donald Trump's like, well, I don't want to go anyway. You know, these interactions that they were having, it was very childish. That's yeah, the only word I can think of. For sure. And so it is because Donald Trump is there. But, you know, Jeb Bush interacted with him. Ted Cruz interacted with him. I don't think Marco Rubio did as much. But when they were in those interactions, it just left me wondering, like, these are the people that want to run this country, you know? Um, I didn't come away with that. So. At all. Yeah. That's strange because I, I mean, Ted Cruz, he did mix it up in a way that I thought was immature. But I thought Jeb Bush, other than the comment that he made about disinviting him, I thought he was coming at it from a very powerful mature position. Jeb Bush was a lot better in his interactions with Donald Trump. You can tell that, you know, he's been sparring with him enough. <laughs> like He kind of gets the rhythm down. Yeah, it's <laughs> like he's been practicing boxing and right. every time it's like a sparring match and now he's ready to go the whole way. Yeah, yeah. He's ready to do it. All right, winners and losers. Um the winners for me are John Kasich mm-hmm. and Are you thinking about this right now? Like you didn't <laughs> Well, I, I'm telling you, we're transitioning really quick into the... Oh, okay. okay well, so let me, uh, let me talk about what I thought. No, then. I would say John Kasich and Jeb Bush, I would say, were the winners. Those would be mine as well. And I think Jeb Bush over John Kasich, if I have to pick, just because he forced himself into the conversation. I think John Kasich and, could do that a bit more. And John Kasich just sits back and, you know, he has to come out and say, deliberately say, overtly say, hey... I'm being positive. I'm not going to tear people down rather than just leave it to people to recognize that, oh, he's not attacking. He has to say, I'm not going to attack. I'm going to be positive. I think it is wishful thinking on John Kasich's part to assume that the American public is going to say, oh, look at that guy on the end of the the debate on the end of the stage who is he's not reacting he's right. standing there almost looking frustrated by these antics uh, yeah. i really like him i like that about him i think that's wishful thinking but on the other hand john Kasich is getting more attention like on cnn he's sure. being interviewed and so he's getting a little bit more exposure i think through his methods well i do listen all the chi- all the, the 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 names we're calling this whether it be childish or immature or whatever Americans and Republicans especially, they want a fighter. They they don't want someone just to sit back and like, okay, is everybody done talking? Because now I'll say what I need to say. That's not what Americans want. And I don't even think that's what we need. We need someone to stand up. And when someone's being an asshole, like Donald Trump, they need to be beaten back. Whether that be rhetorically or, you know, sometimes literally beaten back. And Donald Trump is that bully right now. I understand where you're coming from, but think of, you know, like the trolls that you know, um, the bully type trolls. Like when you were in school, there yeah, were those fine, people. No, the- there were. Th- I'm making a point. You don't automatically know what my point is, D-hole. Okay, so. Okay. When you were in school and you had that bully who, no matter what you said to them, it was, they just were not, they're never going to stop. They're never going to stop. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Why engage that person? Well, because the bullies from my days as a child weren't on a presidential debate stage. They didn't share the stage with possible future presidents of the United States. 
they're just a, a fucking kid on a playground who's an asshole. This guy has to be engaged because he's, like it or not, he's a part of the conversation. I, I see your analogy. I do. I just, he has to be addressed. Everyone who engaged Donald Trump was taken down a notch because they chose to do that with him. I don't. Because I, he takes. I just disagree. He takes everybody down to his level. Maybe, maybe so. Um, I didn't see it that way. That wasn't my takeaway. All right. So we agree- we disagree on something. We agree on winners and losers, and you're wrong about some other stuff. So that's good. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait a minute! Remember that review that said we were too contentious sometimes? Right. Yeah. That just happened. Uh-oh. They are. They're not happy. Yeah. I, I, I should have just been. I should have been quiet and agreed with you. Radio dials are being switched off all across the world right now because uh, no. Brittany was not a delicate lady. Oh uh, no. So if you haven't heard, Supreme Court Justice, the longest sitting Supreme Court Justice of the United States, Antonin Scalia, he served since 1986, he died yesterday. Well, or he died Friday morning. Of natural causes. And we found out yesterday. Well, the first... 79. Anything else? No. The first question (laughs) was asked about this, and because Obama which is his duty, his job, is to nominate a new Supreme Court justice. And the Senate's job, based on the Constitution, is to confirm that nomination. It is to approve of because of our system of checks and balances. Anyway, I'm not going to spoil this. But they asked all of the candidates, because right now there is a controversy about whether or not Obama, I don't know why it's a fucking controversy, it's constitutionally required... Maybe not required in the timeline, but it is his job. No one else can recommend, can nominate a Supreme Court justice except the President of the United States. And the Republicans are being fucking babies right now and trying to put this in a political light that says, no, it would be wrong of you to nominate someone, blah, blah, blah. Even though it's their their job to approve of the nomination. So if they don't want, all they have to do is not approve the nomination. Anyway... They asked all of the candidates, I'm going crazy here. Sure are. They asked all of the candidates about this specific issue, and Jeb Bush is the only one who I'm going to play because he had a reasonable answer. Sorry. Bush, uh, I'd like to ask you, conservatives for a long time have felt like uh, their Republican presidents have picked justices that didn't turn out to be real conservatives. Right. Barry, uh, Bernie Sanders has said he would have a litmus test. He would make sure that he appointed a justice who was going to overturn Citizens United. If they can have a litmus test, what about you? Would you have a litmus test for a nominee and what would it be? Not on specific issues, not at all. I think the next president, if I'm president, I'll appoint people, I'll nominate people that have a proven record in the judiciary. The problem in the past has been we've appointed people thinking you can get it through the Senate because they didn't have a record. And the problem is that sometimes we're surprised. The simple fact is the next president needs to appoint someone with a proven conservative record, similar to Justice Scalia, that is a lover of liberty, that believes in limited government, that consistently applied uh, that kind of philosophy, that didn't try to legislate from the bench, that was respectful of the Constitution, and then fight and fight and fight for that nomination to make sure that that nomination passes. Of course, the president, by the way, has every right to nominate 
Supreme Court justices. I'm an Article II guy in the Constitution. We're running for the President of the United States. We want a strong executive for sure. But in return for that, there should be a consensus orientation on that nomination. And there's no doubt in my mind that Barack Obama will not have a consensus pick when he submits that person to the Senate. Right. So while I don't agree with everything he said there, I certainly agree with the fact that he's being reasonable. Everyone else said, no, the president should wait for the next president to 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 nominate. He Mm -hmm. should just step back. He's still president for 11 months. He still has almost one year left. Why would he not nominate someone? And then if you choose to not advise and consent, as the, conver- uh, as the Constitution says, if you, if you choose not to confirm his nomination, then that's what you choose to do. That is why our founding fathers were so goddamn forward-looking. There's a check and a balance. He can't just approve it, uh, appoint anyone. It, it, the, the Senate has a say as well. Well, it's also not as though Barack Obama has been, you know, nominating a bunch of people. He's nominated two people. Right. And that's not excessive when you compare that to the nominations from other presidents. Like Ronald Reagan nominated five people. Well, there were five vacancies. And one was rejected. But, you know, but well, what I'm saying is it's not like Barack Obama is creating an entire new Supreme Court. Absolutely. Um, He is just filling a vacancy that has occurred during his term. We will. I'm not going to get into this in too much depth now. And it's not like I'm some fucking legal scholar. I think the audience knows that, but I have my opinions. We'll cover this in episode 194, which will be out in in concert with this debate episode. So we will talk about that in more depth there. Let's move on, though. The next question was to Ted Cruz about his military policy in the fight against ISIS. And his answer, and I'll just say it up front, really points to me that he has a fundamental deficit of knowledge of understanding about just how much about how the military works how war fighting is done and what it takes to actually come out victorious in military conflicts gentlemen let's leave it there so i can ask a question of senator cruz who's also running for president (laughs) senator cruz You've talked about the first, the first Gulf War as being a kind of model for your focused and determined effort to go after, uh, after ISIS. But there were 700,000 ground troops as a part of that. So, and you don't have a ground component to your plan. Why? Well, we need to focus on what the objective is. You know, your question about the first three questions you would ask in, in the Situation Room, I think it is a problem. If the president and commander-in-chief we've elected does not have the experience and background to understand the threats facing this country coming in on day one, if you look at the threats facing this country, the single gravest threat, national security threat, is the threat of a nuclear Iran. That's why I pledged on day one to rip to shreds this Iranian nuclear deal. And anyone that thinks you can negotiate with Khamenei does not understand the nature of Khamenei. When it comes to ISIS, We've got to have a focused objective. One of the problems of Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton's foreign policy, and sadly, too many establishment Republicans in Washington, is they focus on issues unrelated to protecting this country. They focus on nation building. They focus on toppling governments to promote democracy, and it ends up undermining our national security. Now, with regard to ISIS, we need a commander-in-chief that sets the objective. We will utterly defeat them because they have declared war They've declared jihad on us. Now, what do we need to carry that out? We need overwhelming air power. 
We need to arm the Kurds who can be our boots on the ground. And if ground troops are necessary, then we should employ them. But it shouldn't be politicians demonstrating political toughness. It should be military expert judgment carrying out the objective set out by the commander in chief. Just what a goddamn clown. Asshat extraordinaire. Can you play that last part again? Because he is saying, oh, just politicians about being tough, blah, blah. That's what you're doing. Right. You coward. Yeah. You didn't serve. You don't know. You've never studied any of this. Clearly, you've never opened a book on these matters. So is he just saying he's going to be that politician until he gets into the Uh, position and then he can meet with the military leaders who will then inform his uh, opinions? Well, here's what the deal is, is he gets called out right now by the moderator that, well, mm, the Kurds (laughs) guy, the Kurds are not well liked in the region. They are their own cultural entity. They're Muslims. But they're not Sunnis, they're not Shia. You can't just have them run run roughshod all over the land there because it's going to cause more division. If they gain ground through military exploits, it's going to cause major problems in the region with Arab Muslims. And he gets asked that, and Ted Cruz, I don't know if he's internally flustered or... Or if he just really thinks he's right, but, well, here it is. Very quickly, a 30-second follow-up. You've, you've said you would, that essentially the Kurds would be the American ground forces in there. The, the, the criticism that the experts have on that is that the Kurds only can work within their territory. If they take larger amounts of territory, you have an ethnic war with the Arabs. So the, the Kurds can't really do as much as you seem to be putting on... On their backs. We have Kurds in both Iraq and Syria. They are fighting ISIS right now. They are winning victories right now. ISIS is using American military equipment they've seized in Iraq. And the Obama administration refuses to arm the Kurds, the Peshmerga, the fighting forces who've been longtime allies. We ought to be arming them and letting them fight. Now, if we need to embed special forces to direct our overwhelming air power, if, if it is required to use ground troops to defeat ISIS, we should use them, but we ought to start with using our incredible air power advantage. The first Persian Gulf War, we launched 1,100 air attacks a day. Today, we're launching between 15 and 30. We're not using the tools we have, and it's because the commander-in-chief is not focused on defeating the enemy. And he's also pointing to the first Gulf War. Saddam Hussein, we went in there thinking they had a million-man army. We thought that it was going to be a formidable military force, and it was a fucking paper tiger. We, we waltzed into Iraq and completely backed them out of Kuwait in hours. It didn't take, you know, months and months. It was a, a very quick thing that happened. So this is the, and I've talked about this for months. This is another time where Ted Cruz, much like many of the Republican uh, candidates, they don't understand what it takes to win in combat overwhelming air power has never won a war it you have to have boots on the goddamn ground you must it's not just air you can't just drop bombs you need to occupy that's how you do it well and according to a december 
2015 Quinnipiac poll, 75% of Republicans support sending troops to fight ISIS in Iraq and Syria. Mm. Only 17% are opposed. I would be amongst that 17%. I mean, that, did you say Republicans? Yes. Yeah, it wouldn't be me anyway, but that should be a last resort. There are factions and powers at play in the Middle East right now who can be, whether it be cajoled or bought off, there's ways to do it without Americans. Well, this and is. It's, it's likely better that we use locals rather than Americans because there's the entire. You know, Islamic idea that that Amer- we shouldn't we're infidels. We shouldn't be on the ground there. Well, this is why Ted Cruz is speaking the way he is. Right? He needs to appeal to right. the Republicans. Right. And if this is the way that they lean, then that's the way he's going to have to lean in order to get their vote. For sure. All right. Well, let's get into the dust up, the immaturity, the childishness of the some of the conflict. This next one is Donald Trump. Forgetting that he's in a Republican debate in South Carolina, where George W. Bush is overwhelmingly liked. Also forgetting that George W. Bush's approval ratings have greatly increased since he was in office. This is a a weird moment in the debate where Donald Trump goes on this jag about how Bush should have been impeached due to the war, which is even left of what the Democratic Party believes. This is like Chomsky. This is way out there on the left, even left of the two Democratic candidates who are running for president. This is how it went down. On Monday, George W. Bush will campaign in South Carolina for his brother. As you said tonight, and you've often said, the Iraq war and your opposition to it was a sign of your good judgment. In 2008, in an interview with Wolf Blitzer talking about President George W. Bush's conduct of the war, you said you were surprised the Democratic Leader Nancy Pelosi didn't try to impeach him. You said, quote, which personally I think would have been a wonderful thing, Uh, close quote. When you were asked what you meant by that, you said, for the war. For the war. He lied. He got us into the war with lies. Do you still believe President Bush should should have been impeached? First of all, I have to say, as a businessman, I get along with everybody. I have business all over the world. Wait, what? What? (laughs) Wait, what? You said... Bush should have been impeached by Nancy Pelosi. Uh, first of all, I got a tremendous company. I Everybody loves me. Oh, tremendous all over the world. How, what the fuck does that have to do with anything? I would love to know what was going on in his head just before he said that. <laughs> I know so many of the people in the audience. And by the way, I'm a self-funder. I don't have. I have my what? wife and I have my son. That's all I have. I don't have this. My so, wife, my son, and my ego. Let me you. just tell you. I get along with everybody, which is my obligation to my company, to myself, etc. You don't. Obviously, the war in Iraq was a big, fat mistake. All right? Now, you can take it any way you want. And it took, Je- it took Jeb Bush, if you remember, at the beginning of his announcement, when he announced for president, took him five days. He went back. It was a mistake. It was a mistake. It took him five days before his people told him what to say. And he ultimately said, it was a mistake. So he's attacking Jeb Bush, right? which is very confusing because as the debate goes on, he regularly talks about how Jeb Bush came in fifth in New Hampshire. So yeah. why is he even bothering well, he's also attacking, attacking Jeb Bush? He's also attacking Jeb Bush for something another human being did. Right. And Jeb Bush wasn't president of the United States. 
George W. Bush was. Right. So Donald Trump loves to say that he has always been against the uh, the war in Iraq. But how do Republicans feel about the war in right, Iraq? Right. According to a May 2015 Quinnipiac poll, 62% of Republicans said going to war in Iraq was the right thing to do, while only 28% said it was the wrong thing. Right. So again, he's not appealing to who he needs to be appealing to when he's saying these things. Ultimately, and I was going to wait until the end to kind of say this, I think Donald Trump, and look, I've said it before and I was wrong, but I think this might be the the moment where he jumped the shark and his support might start to wane. Right. The war in Iraq, we spent $2 trillion, thousands of lives. We don't even have it. Iran is taking over Iraq with the second largest oil reserves in the world. Obviously, it was a mistake. So... George Bush made a mistake. We can make mistakes, but that one was a beauty. We should have never been in Iraq. We have destabilized right. the Middle East. But so you, so I mean, so you, so you still think he should be impeached? I think it's my turn, isn't it? You do whatever you want. You call it whatever you want. I want to tell you, they lied. Okay. They said there were weapons of mass destruction. There were none, and they knew there were none. There were no weapons of mass okay. destruction. Okay. All right. Go. Governor Bush. When a member on the stage is brother gets attacked, I brother gets five or six, I get to do it five or six times or just once nice. responding to that? So here's the deal. I'm sick and tired of Barack Obama blaming my brother for all of the problems that he's had. And frankly, I could... So that was a very artful thing that he did there connecting donald trump to barack obama yeah see barack obama is always being critical i, I never that never even crossed my mind that's awesome that you thought of that and here's donald trump being critical as well look yeah. at how similar they are yeah god that's really good look at britney page coming with the expert analysis holy shit how dare you sir <laughs> i could care less about the insults that donald trump gives to me it's blood sport for him. He enjoys it, and I'm glad he's happy about it. He's but I am sick and, tired, I am sick and tired of him going after my family. My dad is the greatest man alive in my mind. And while, while Donald Trump was building a reality TV show, my brother was building a security apparatus to keep us safe, and I'm proud of what he did. He's had the gall to go the after World my Trade mother. Center came He's down had the gall your to go after reign. my mother. That. Hold on. Let me finish this. He's had the gall to go after my mother. That's not keeping Look, us I won safe. the lottery when I was born 63 years ago and looked up and I saw my mom. mom my mom is the strongest woman I know. She should this be running. This is not about okay. my family or his family. Okay. This is about the South Carolina families that need someone to be a commander-in-chief that can lead. Governor, I'm that person. Governor Kasich, would you weigh in on... Governor, Governor Kasich. Kasich, please weigh in. I, I got to tell you, this is just crazy, huh? This is just nuts, okay? Jeez, oh, man. <laughs> Jeez, oh, man. I'm sorry, John. Wait, why is it nuts? Talk about it. Give us your sense of... Oh, well, listen, I think uh, being in Iraq, look, we thought there were weapons of mass destruction. Colin Powell, who's one of the most distinguished generals in modern times, said there were weapons there. But, but the fact is we got ourselves in the middle of a civil war. Uh, the Sunni, the Shia, and the Kurds never gotten along. In fact, that country was drawn, the borders of that country were, were drawn after World War I by Westerners that didn't understand what was happening there. Uh, the, the tragedy of it is that we're still embroiled. And frankly, if there weren't map weapons of mass destruction, we should never have gone. Uh, I don't believe that the United States should involve itself in civil wars. 
Civil wars are not in our direct interest. And if you and look, I served on a defense committee for 18 years and was called into the Pentagon after 9-11 by Secretary Rumsfeld to deal with some of the most serious problems that we face. The fact is, is that we should go to war when it is our direct interest. We should not be policemen of the war of the world. But when we go, we mean business. We'll do our job. We'll tell our soldiers, our people in the service, take care of your job and then come home once we've accomplished our goals. That's what we need to do. 30, 30 seconds, yeah. I just want to say, at least on behalf of me and my family, I thank God all the time that uh. it was George W. Bush in the White House on 9-11 and not Al Gore. Praise you, Jesus. Pastor in chief, everybody. <laughs> you can, I think you can look back in hindsight and say a couple things, but he kept us safe. And not only did he keep us safe, but no matter what you want to say about weapons of mass destruction... Saddam Hussein was in violation of UN resolutions, an open violation, and the world wouldn't do anything about it. And George W. Bush enforced what the international community refused to do. And again, he kept us safe, and I am forever grateful to what he did for this. How did he Dr. keep us Trump. safe when the world trades anything? The world, excuse me, I lost hundreds of friends. The World Trade Center came down during the rain. He kept us safe. That's not safe. That is right. not safe, Mark. All right. Uh, that is not safe. The, the World, World Trade, Trade Center, Center came down because yeah. Bill Clinton didn't kill Osama bin Laden when he had the chance to kill him. And George Bush... Had... By the way, George Bush had the chance also, and he didn't listen to the advice of his CIA. All right, Dr. Carson, we have a... Can I just... Can we I... have a cleansing... I'm not going to invite Donald Trump to the rally in Charleston on Monday afternoon. I don't want to go. brother's coming to speak. Yeah. I'm rescinding the invitation. I yep. thought you might want to come, but I guess not. Okay. Um, Where to begin? Yeah, there was just so much happening. So <laughs> the first thing I want to say is, again, I'm, I'm not sure what Donald Trump's strategy was here. It almost seems like he just is... Um, I think he went off half kilter. I just He fucking lost his mind. Yeah, I don't think that this was planned. I don't think that this was a strategy. I think he's personally attacking Jeb Bush because they have this history of not getting along. Well, I think Donald Trump doesn't like Jeb Bush because of the money he spent in New Hampshire in ads against him. Yeah. He kept bringing that up. It seems like a sore, well, he, sore point. He brings it up when it wasn't even at issue. Yeah. It wasn't even asked about. Yeah. He starts saying something about Donald Trump, and Donald Trump's like, oh, 55 million. Although Donald Trump does that about everything. <laughs> he just says things that aren't related to what's happening. But So a CBS News poll um, that was conducted in October said that George W. Bush had a 67% favorable rating among Republicans, and his unfavorable rating was just 8%. Right. So attacking George W. Bush is not smart in a Republican debate. Right. Well, it's at least dangerous. Yeah, I don't understand what he's trying, what he thinks he's doing. And as you could tell, the audience was not happy yeah, with they were not anything he yeah, said. Right, Nothing. absolutely. And, and then, you know, look, look, the fact remains that we were wrong on the weapons of mass destruction. But we weren't the only ones who were wrong. The world's intelligence apparatus believed there were weapons of mass destruction. The French, many, Euro the British, many European entities believed the same intelligence that we did. So we made the wrong we made the right decision for the wrong based on the wrong intelligence. We were wrong about it. But 
you know. Well, Donald Trump is being punished because <laughs> he got his invitation rescinded. Oh, yeah. So how about that? Well, he's, what you probably couldn't hear is Jeb Bush said, you know, I'm going to rescind the invitation because my brother is going to be speaking there and you probably don't want to be there. So fuck you. I don't want to go anyway. <laughs> I didn't want to go anyway. Oh, Donald Trump. What a cunt. All right. Oh. Up next. Uh, they started talking to John Kasich about entitlements and how his beliefs, how are they conservative? Because you've done this and that. How is it conservative? And then there's a little bit of a back and forth. And th listen, this is where Brittany and I may come to some agreement on our opinions about the Donald Trump skirmishes. Because this is how two people maturely disagree and discuss an issue at a debate. Governor Kasich, this goes to the size of gover government. In 2013, you pushed through a Medicaid reform in your state over the objections of many of the Republicans in your state. Total enrollment and overall costs of that program have gone well beyond what anyone had expected, including yourself. How can you argue that this overall growth fits in with conservative ambitions to significantly cut back on the size of federal welfare yeah. programs? Well, first of all, those numbers are incorrect. <clears throat> we are, our Medicaid programs are coming in below cost estimates, and our Medicaid program in the second year grew at 2.5%. And uh, Kimberly, let me tell you, when we expand Medicaid and we treat the mentally ill, then they don't live under a bridge or live in a prison where they cost $22,500 a year. When we take the drug addicted and we treat them in the prisons, we stop the revolving door of people in and out of prisons, and we save $22,500 uh, $22, a year. Guess what else? They get their lives back. And the working poor, they're now getting health care. And you know that about a third of the people who are now getting that health care are people who are suffering very serious illnesses, particularly cancer. So what I would tell you is we've gone from an $8 billion hole to a $2 billion surplus. We've cut taxes by more than any governor in America by $5 billion. We have grown the number of jobs by 400,000 private sector jobs since I've been governor. Our credit is strong. Our pensions are strong. And frankly, we leave no one behind. Economic growth is not an end unto itself. We want everyone to rise, and we will make them personally responsible for the help that they get. And that is exactly the program we're driving in Ohio. And boy, people ought to look at Ohio because it's got the good formula. Governor Bush, I've got a question. So, goddamn, how can someone not like John Kasich? I mean, apart from his wacky Judeo-Christian values agency, which I think is just absolute pandering, he's he's a he's a loving, compassionate guy who really wants what's best for his people. And you might disagree with with general. Republican Party platform, he's not your general Republican Party guy. No, he's he comes off as very compassionate, where a lot of the other candidates don't. What's well, rational? Where do we want them living in prison or under a fucking bridge? Or are we going to help them out, give them a hand up so they can start making money on their own and become their own, you know, to help themselves start? And then you don't have to pay for them anymore. That is conservative. That is wisely spending the money. Now I'm just proselytizing my flavor of conservatism. But uh, it bothers me that he's not higher in the polls. It, I've, it, this is why I abandoned the Republican Party. I'm sorry. I'm, <laughs> I'm just ramrodding here. 
This is why I abandoned the Republican Party a long time ago. The fact that he's so low in the polls. Go ahead. I've seen political commentators talking about how this is the reason that he's so popular in Ohio and that he won 86 of 88 counties in Ohio because of this kind of compassionate lens that he is seeing things through. Yeah. And... It's really appealing. And then you add that to the guy who doesn't want to mix it up with everybody and also says, golly gee whiz. Um, (laughs) That's not appealing to me. (laughs) I want somebody to stand up and say, hey, you shut your fucking mouth, Trump. That's what I want. I I mean, I'm yearning for that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's endearing, though, isn't it? Endearing when he says, golly gee whiz. Right, right. Well, here's, here's Jeb Bush interjecting, and then they talk. For you, but you want to jump in. I'd like, can I, can I... Jump in, and then I've got a question for Look, you. Look, I admire the fact that Governor Kasich is supporting spending more money on drug treatment and mental health. I think that's a high priority all across this country. But expanding Obamacare is what we're talking about. And Obamacare's expansion, even though the federal government is paying for the great majority of it, is creating further debt on the backs of our children and grandchildren. We should be fighting Obamacare, repealing Obamacare, replacing it with something totally different. When I was, as a private citizen, Florida was confronted with this choice. The governor was supportive of doing what John did. So was the Florida Senate. A committed Speaker of the House asked me to go as a private citizen to, to, to make the case against the expansion. I did. And it wasn't expanded there, just as it wasn't expanded in South Carolina under Governor now, me, Casey, me, Real quickly, yeah, jump please. in. Yeah, well, I got a question a for Governor Bush, but jump in. First of all, when Jeb was governor, his first four years as governor, he expanded his Medicaid program grew twice as fast as mine, okay? It's just a fact. Now, with Obamacare, I've not only sued the administration, I did not set up an exchange, and he knows that I'm not for Obamacare, never have been. But here's interesting about Medicaid. You know who expanded Medicaid five times to try to help the folks and give them opportunities so they could rise and get a job? President Ronald Reagan. Now, the fact of the matter is we expanded to get people on their feet, and once they're on their feet, we are, we are giving them the training and the efforts that they need to be able to Understood, get a work, to get work and pull out of that situation. So that's what we're Governor doing Bush. in our state. South Carolinians need to know this because the Cato Institute, which grades governors based on their spending, rank him, rank him right okay. at the Governor bottom. Bush, fine. Uh, and we, we Governor Haley's ranked at the top. Let me get a question. No, you you mentioned my I understand. Name. I understand. Yeah. No, no, Let no, me no. finish this. Hey, wait, wait, this wait. Hold important. on, Major. Hold on, Major. South Carolinians want to make sure that they elect the most conservative governor or candidate that can win. Let me, uh, let me I'd just like to tell you. Question hey, on economic Major, growth, Governor Bush. Major, we can't, we got it. Look, I got to correct the record. And the fact of the matter is, we went from an $8 billion hole to a $2 billion surplus. We're up 400,000 jobs. Our credit is rock solid. And I don't know, look, the bottom made, line Governor. is the people of this, of this country and this state want to see everybody rise, and they want to see unity, and I don't want to get into all this fighting tonight because these people are frankly sick of the negative campaigning, and I'm going to stay positive about what I want to do. From the perspective of economic growth. So I think that was a great um, juxtaposition, taking himself away from the drama and saying, I'm running a positive campaign. I'm not going to get into all the the negativity. But I I also like how John Kasich is talking about the importance of Medicaid. And it's almost like he should be on the Democratic stage because (laughs) these things are typically only talked about in the the Democratic debates. If John Kasich were on the Democratic stage, um, I... He would be, I mean, look, there would be no question in my mind who I'd vote for. It would be John Kasich. And if John Kasich, I mean, save the wacky Jesus agency shit. I mean, really, that I can't help but remember that. 
mm-hmm. him saying that. Mm-hmm. And that's just him pandering to the Republican base. Um, I'm sure it is. But I think this would be a way different race if he were running as a Democrat, but a conservative Democrat. He would. This might be a runaway deal. And not a Jim Webb Democrat. And not a Jim Webb, I kill people Democrat. And if, if you're wondering, <laughs> well, is this going to play well, this whole Medicaid expansion talk, is this going to play well in South Carolina? Well, in 2012, 32% of Republican voters in South Carolina identified as moderate or liberal, placing South Carolina exactly halfway in between Iowa, 17%, and New Hampshire, 47%. Hmm. So there may be voters that find this very appealing in South Carolina. Yeah, that would be great. All right, well, let's move on to immigration. And this is a Jeb Bush, Donald Trump shootout. <laughs> In fact, I wrote down how how long each, each exchange was. This one, the first one was 613. This one is very brief. I didn't write it down. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. Here it is. Governor Bush, I want to yes. yeah. bring this out to a little wider philosophical aperture, if you will. Thank you. You have said legal, illegal immigrants, quote, broke the law, but it's not a felony. Still quoting you, it's an act of love. It's an act of commitment to your family. Mr. Trump has, as you are well aware, denounced that statement over and over. Do you still believe it? What does that mean to you? And how does that inform First, your I approach feel like to I, immigration reform? Great question. I feel like I have to um, get into my inner Chris Christie and point out that the reason why I should be president is listening to two senators talk about arcane amendments to bills that didn't pass. This is, this is the problem. We need, we need a leader to fix this problem. And I have a detailed plan to do just that, including controlling the border, dealing with the visa overstayers, making sure that we have a path to legal status, not to citizenship for those that come out from the shadows and pay a fine, learn English, don't commit crimes, work and pay taxes. That is the better approach. Fundamentally, do you believe this rhetoric is insufficiently compassionate to this issue? The great majority of people that come to this country come because they have no other choice. They want to come to provide their families. That doesn't mean it's right. That doesn't mean it's right. We should pick who comes to our country. We should control our border. Coming here legally should be a lot easier than coming here illegally. But the motivation, they're not all rapists, as you know who said. They're not that. These are people that are coming to provide for their families. And we should show a little more respect for the fact that they're struggling. It doesn't mean we shouldn't be controlling the border. That's exactly what we should be doing. Mr. Trump. How can that be argued with? He said compassionate, logical things, including some conservative lines. Even Bernie Sanders believes we need to be able to control who comes into our country. This isn't an open borders policy. We we do have the say of who comes in, who doesn't come in. Well, and his position is most reasonable because the total undocumented population is declining. It has been in decline for years. And in 2014, it dipped below 11 million for the first time. So it is declining. But when you hear the other candidates talking about immigration, they sound very panicked as though the problem is getting worse and it needs to be dealt with immediately because it's getting so bad. Right. Well, there's something to fear, according to the rest of the fear mongers on stage. So Donald Trump decides to jump on in. When I announced that I was running for president on June 16th, illegal Uh. immigration wasn't even a subject. If I didn't bring it up, you wouldn't even be talking. Now, 
we're both waving. You're waving your arms. Stop it. Stop it. I want to talk. Well, so it has illegal is illegal immigration a platform issue? Like, of is course. it? It's always it, it is absolutely since we'll even go just as far back as 2004 and 2005. A major issue when comprehensive immigration reform started to be talked about. This is not a new thing. Donald Trump did not invent this as an interest topic for voters. He's out of his goddamn mind to assert that the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. That's not, I do never, no one even was even talking about immigration until I, with my tremendous gravitas, started talking about it. <laughs> oh. I don't often agree with Marco, and I don't often agree with Ted, but I can in this case. The weakest person on this stage by far on illegal guess. immigration is Jeb Bush. They Jeb come Bush. out of an act of love, whether you like it or not. He is so weak on illegal immigration, it's laughable, and everybody knows it. So, you know, this, this, this is the standard operating procedure to disparage me that's fine i don't no, no, really spend care a little more money on the commercials but if you want to talk about weakness you want to talk about weakness it's weak to disparage women it's weak disparage. to disparage hispanics i don't disparage. it's weak it's weak to denigrate the disabled and it's really weak to call john mccain a loser because he was a i never dog. called him no, i don't call that him is him. outrageous he's an american hero nice you also Simple said about is, language i've laid out my plans said about language my language Two days ago, he said he would take his pants off and moon everybody. What? And that's fine. Nobody reports that. He gets up and says that. And then he tells me, oh, my language was a little bit rough. Okay. My language. Governor Kasich. Give me a break. Governor Kasich. Governor Kasich. Here in South Carolina, earlier this week, you said the idea, the concept of deporting just, 11 just million undocumented workers that. here. Make sure my mother's listening. Yeah. She's watching the debate. I didn't did say, say that. It. You did somebody. say it. <laughs> Been reported we, we, in ten we, different newspapers. We will leave the moon metaphors to be adjudicated later. I assure you, <laughs> Governor Kasich. <laughs> so Donald Trump is out of his goddamn mind. Well, apparently Bush did say that he's unhinged. Well, what exactly was the context? What did he say? "Quote: I could drop my pants, moon the whole crowd. Everybody would be aghast, except the press guys who would never notice." He's making a joke. First of all, it's not crude at all. He's making a joke about mooning everybody. All the crowd would be appalled by it, but the press wouldn't notice because they don't cover him anyway. Mm-hmm. It's it's a fucking joke. It's not making fun of of a handicapped guy. It's it's not making fun of women who oh you wouldn't have your job. You clearly wouldn't have your job if you weren't beautiful. You wouldn't have your job if you weren't beautiful. Is the mooning comment comparable to Donald Trump saying that he could stand in the middle of whatever avenue in New York City and shoot somebody and go up in the polls? Yeah, yeah maybe. But we didn't cover that. We didn't talk about that like it was Trump unhinged. I, I get what he's saying there. You know what I mean? I did talk about it as Trump being unhinged for sure. Well, he well he is unhinged. It's just I one it, extra thing. I think it's because of Trump's personality combined with him saying that, that it's just well, kind of tyrannical. Listen, is Jeb Bush talking about, I could moon everybody, the crowd would notice and be pissed off, but the media, they wouldn't notice at all because they don't cover me. Is it the same as him talking about fucking his daughter? If Ivanka weren't my daughter, perhaps I'd be dating her. <laughs> it, it's just not the same. It doesn't rise to the level. 
Yeah, well, I, I agree. I agree. I'm just doing a little... Uh... No, you're defending Trump. Okay. Please <laughs> do not say that. You heard it here first, everybody. No. Brittany Page no. defends no. and loves no. Donald Trump. You heard it. You are a Everyone liar, sir. Heard it. You are a liar All like right, Ted up Cruz. Next, up next, we've already established you love Donald Trump. Up next, we're moving on. <laughs> moving on. Talking to Donald Trump, Jeb Bush, and Ted Cruz. They all get into this. This is so good. About flexibility as a leader and changing one's opinion. It starts with Donald Trump and it moves into everybody else kind of getting involved. Mr. Trump, I have a question for you. Presidents have to, on the one hand, be firm, but also be flexible. You've been flexible and changed your opinion on a number of things, from abortion to Hillary Clinton. But you've said, rightly, that it's just like Ronald Reagan, who changed his mind on things. But at the same time, you're criticizing Senator Cruz for what you say is a change on immigration. He disputes that, of course. So why is your change of opinion make you like Reagan? And when he changes his opinion, (laughs) it's a huge character flaw. John, in life... You have flexibility. You do have flexibility. When you're fighting wars, you're going one way. You have a plan. It's a beautiful plan. It can't lose. The enemy makes a change, and all of a sudden, you have to change. You have to have flexibility. And Ronald Reagan, though, in terms of what we're talking about, was the great example. He was a somewhat liberal Democrat who became a somewhat pretty strong conservative. He became, most importantly, became a great president. He made many of the changes that I've made. I mean, I've seen as I grew up, I've seen and as I get older and wiser. And I feel that I am a conservative. Now, I also feel I'm a common sense conservative because some of the views I don't agree with. uh, And I think a lot of people agree with me, obviously, based on what's happening. Which conservative idea don't you agree with? Well, I think uh, these people always hit me with eminent domain. And frankly, I'm not in love with eminent domain, but eminent domain is something that you need very strongly. When Jeb had said, you used eminent domain privately for a parking lot, it wasn't for a parking lot. The state of New Jersey, too bad Chris Christie's not here, he could tell you, the state of New Jersey went to build a very large tower that was going to employ thousands of people. I mean, it was going to really do a big job in terms of economic development. Now, just so you understand, I got hit very hard. It's private. It's private eminent domain. You understand that they took over a stadium in Texas and they used private eminent okay. domain, but he just found that out after he made the charge. All right. uh, Governor Bush, I think by they, he's referring to your brother. Yeah. You're on the hook for your brother. Well, Jeb wouldn't so have there, known about it. So there's, uh, there's, there's all sorts of uh, intrigue about where I disagree with my brother. There'd be one right there. You should not use eminent domain for private purposes, a baseball stadium or a parking lot for limos. You shouldn't have used it then, Jeb. It's very different. Transmission lines, pipelines, bridges. It is weird that Donald Trump cannot distinguish between Jeb Bush and George W. Bush. Right. Well, you shouldn't have used it then, Jeb. Jeb has never held elected office in Texas. He's from Florida. He's... The, gov- the former governor of Florida, not Texas. That's how many states away. I mean, you got Georgia, you got Alabama and Mississippi, you got Louisiana, and then you got Texas. It's a thousand miles away. <laughs> well, George W. Bush also left office in 2009. So why right. is there so much talk about George W. Bush when Barack Obama has been president for and, the last seven years. Right, not only that, but what they're talking about is when he was governor of Texas. So even before that, in the 90s, we're talking about here. Right. It's, so it's just 
I don't know. It's just weird that he's going to the George W. Bush, George W. Bush. Right. That doesn't seem like the thing to do here. At a Republican debate filled with an audience of Republicans. Especially Bush supporters as well. (laughs) Highways, all of that is proper use of eminent domain. Not to take an elderly woman's home to build a parking lot so that high rollers can come from New York City to failed casinos in Atlantic City. That is not the appropriate thing to do. Senator Cruz, you were mentioned in the mix here. Uh, Your response. You know, flexibility is a good thing, but it shouldn't, you shouldn't be flexible on core principles. Um, I like Donald. He is an amazing entertainer, but his policies for most of his life. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. For most of his life, his policies have been very, very liberal. For most of his life, he has described himself as very pro-choice and as a supporter of partial birth abortion. Right now, today, as a candidate, he supports federal taxpayer funding for Planned Parenthood. I disagree with him on that. That's a matter you of principle. And I'll, and I'll tell you, you are the single biggest liar. You probably are worse than Jeb Bush. You are the single biggest liar. All right. This guy lied. Let me just tell you. This guy lied about Ben Carson when he took votes away from Ben Carson in Iowa. This is where I think Brittany's opinion, and you could speak for yourself, delicate lady, uh, this is where I think Brittany's opinion really kind of shifted on the the tome of the entire evening because no one had been lie or this, lie or that. This is, it's new territory. Mm-hmm. No, I agree with that. I think, you know, this is the first time he officially made an insult like that. Yeah. And these are still his fellow Republicans. And, right. and he's saying, you are the biggest liar ever. You're a liar. Right. That seems like something that should be saved for, you know, Hillary Clinton. Right. Or- Since they've all taken the pledge that they're going to support the Republican nominee, whoever he may be. Yeah. How are you going to support the single biggest liar now? Right. I mean, that's pretty rough. Yeah. Dangerous. And he just continues. And today we had robocalls saying Donald Trump is not going to run in South Carolina, where I'm leading by a lot. I'm not going to run. Vote, vote for Ted Cruz. This is the same thing he did to Ben Carson. This guy will say anything. Nasty guy. Now I know why he doesn't have one endorsement from any right. of his colleagues. All right, John, I, I get Cruz to respond. Pick from the buffet there. He's a yeah. nasty guy. I'm well, next, well, I, I, I will say, well. I, I will say it is fairly remarkable to see. He's a nasty guy. So again, this is a presidential debate and he is calling someone, quote, a nasty guy. Yeah. What are you doing? Goddamn. Donald defending Ben after he called him pathological and compared him to a child molester, both of which were offensive and wrong. But but let me say more broadly, you notice Donald didn't disagree with the substance that he supports taxpayer funding for Planned Parenthood. And Donald has this weird pattern. When you point to his own record, he screams, liar, liar, liar. If you want to go... Where did I support it? Where did I support it? Hey, Ted, where did I support it? If you want to go and watch the video, go to our website, tedcruz.org. Where did I support it, Ted? Out of Donald's own mouth. When we Where were did battling, I support it? You supported it when we were battling over defunding Planned Parenthood. You went on That's television a lot and said nice. Planned Parenthood does wonderful things and we should not defund them. Well, it does do wonderful and, things, and, but not as it relates to abortion. So tell they me, what, do are the some, wonderful excuse things, me. what are the wonderful excuse things me. it does? There are wonderful things having to do with women's health. You see, you and I disagree on that. Not when it comes to abortion. Not when it comes to abortion. That's where I John, the reason principle matters. 
The reason principle matters, sadly, was illustrated by the first questions today. The next president is going to appoint one, two, three, four Supreme Court justices. Um, well, I'm kind of confused by that comment he just made. Um, but <laughs> Well, he's getting in all the talking points he can. Yeah, but going back to... The Planned Parenthood stuff. The talking over each other. Um, no one else has been doing this. And this is a credit to your point, saying that this is mainly about Donald Trump. No one else does this during the debate. Talk over the other person while they're talking, except for Donald Trump and who is uh, whoever's arguing with him. But aside from that, no one does that. No one is talking over the other person while they're giving an answer. Well, there are certain mannerisms of civility that are adhered to. Sometimes. If Donald Trump is president... He will appoint liberals. If Donald Excuse Trump me. is Excuse president, me. your Excuse Second me. Amendment will go away. Tell you. Hold on, before, and, and you know let how me tell I you. That? Hold on, gentlemen. Ted I'm going to turn this car around. John Roberts, Ted Cruz, with your brother, wanted John Roberts to be in the United States Supreme Court. They both pushed him. He twice approved Obamacare. All right, gentlemen. Going, uh, my oh, name right, was hold on, hold on. Gonna, my name was mentioned twice. Well, hold on. We're going <laughs> to gentlemen. We're in we're in danger of driving this into the dirt. You gave us Senator Obamacare. Rubio. I'd like you to you, you just, want to jump in here. Me a liar. I understand. You'll, you'll you're on deck. Governor. He also he you're also denigrated he also one of my heroes, Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan was a liberal maybe in the 1950s. He was a conservative reform governor for eight years before he became president. And no one would suggest he made an evolution for political purposes. He was a conservative. And he didn't tear down people like Donald Trump does. He right. tore down the Berlin Wall. Okay, Governor. He's a great, great guy. Governor, Senator Cruz, 30... 30 seconds on this one. I did not nominate John Roberts. I would not have nominated you John Roberts. You pushed him. You pushed him. You worked with him, and you pushed him. Why do you lie? Donald, adults learn not to interrupt you. Why do you lie? Donald learned. You pushed him. Donald, adults learn not to interrupt you. Yeah, yeah, I know. You're an adult. Right. You're an adult. <laughs> I did not nominate him. I would not have nominated him. I would have nominated my former boss, Mike Ludig, who was Justice Scalia's first law clerk. And you know how I know that Donald's Supreme Court justices will be liberals? Because his know. entire life he supported <laughs> liberals from Jimmy Carter to Hillary Clinton to John Kerry. In 2004, right, he contributed right. to John well, Kerry. Nobody who cares about judges would contribute right. to John Kerry, Hillary Clinton, Chuck Schumer, and Harry Reid. We're going to switch. That's what Donald Trump. Governor, we're going to switch gears here. Mark, Senator Marco Rubio. Senator yes, Marco Rubio. Please. That right there is an awesome way to end that segment there. Because he, no conservative would contribute to and then list the Democratic candidates. That has to resonate even with the crazed, maniacal fan base of Donald Trump. Yeah, well, I mean, Ted doesn't know who he's going to nominate. You don't know. Of course know. not. Of course he doesn't. I'm making I'm a joke because Donald Trump said, you don't know. <laughs> oh, right. oh, yeah, yeah. You're an adult, Ted. <laughs> Is this like a cartoon? I mean, honestly. It very well could be a cartoon. It was like kids having an exchange on the playground. And I love how Ted Cruz was like, he'll nominate liberals. <laughs> the way he said well, he liberals. Also, he also made the charge that your Second Amendment right will go away if Trump gets elected. Right. Come on, dude. Right. What a clown. It's Ted Cruz's uh, expert area is right. fear. All right. We're going to end this with this clip. The moderator asks Donald Trump about who tells you when you're wrong and who do you listen to? Because you seem like the kind of guy who's just a wild douche. <laughs> uh, it's not. I, I'm paraphrasing. 
Mr. Trump, let me ask you a question. Presidents in both parties say that the one thing you need in, in your administration is somebody who can tell you you're wrong. You don't necessarily seem like somebody who has somebody who tells you you're wrong a lot. Can you tell us of an instance where somebody said, Donald Trump, you're wrong, and you listen to them? Well, I would say my wife tells me I'm wrong all the time. And Just take the question seriously. You're running for a very serious position. Yeah, for once, take it seriously. This and is an it. election for the most powerful position maybe on the planet. Answer legitimate with, a, with, a, with an answer that's real. We don't need to hear about Melania. Well, here's what happens. You're going to hear him kind of realize he's not going to be able to get off the hook because John Dickerson, I think that's his name, says, well, what? What does she tell you that you're wrong about? And then Donald Trump realizes, oh, shit, I'm going to have to really answer. And then he's like, uh, and he kind of scrambles. I listen. About what? Oh, let me just say, uh, look. I am very open. I hired top people. I've had great success. I built a great, great company. I don't need to do this. I'm self-funding. I'm spending a lot of money. Not answering. I've spent, like in New Hampshire, I spent $3 million. Jeb Bush spent $44 million. He came in five, and I came in number one. That's what the country needs, folks. So who I tells you when you're wrong? He spends 42 of their money, of special interest money. And it's just, this is not going to make, excuse me, this is not going to make our country great again. This is not what we need in our country. We need people that know what the hell they're doing. Why can't he answer the goddamn question? Why is it so impossible for him to admit when he's wrong, to say sorry, and to say, yeah, I have people in my organization who tell me when I'm wrong, who disagree with me? Why is that so impossible for the massive, weighty ego of Donald Trump? And politicians, they're all talk, they're no action, and that's why people are supporting me. I do listen to people. I hire experts. I hire top, top people, and I do listen. And you know what? Sometimes they're wrong. You have to know what to do, when to do it. So I hire top people, and sometimes they're wrong. It's not when I was wrong, which was the, what the question was. It's sometimes they're wrong, and I'm right. Everything about this guy just screams for a punch right in the fucking face. Oh, dear. But sometimes they're wrong. Something in talking to voters that they wish somebody would tell you to cut it out is the profanity. What's yeah. your reaction? Well, I'll tell you. Over the years, I've made many speeches. People have asked me, big companies have asked me to make speeches, and friends of mine that run big companies on success. And on occasion, in order to sort of uh, really highlight something, I use a profanity. Uh, one of the profanities that I got uh, credited with using that I didn't use was a very bad word two weeks ago that I never used. I said, you. And everybody said, oh, he didn't say anything wrong. But you bleeped it. So everyone thinks I said the word. I didn't say anything. I never said the word. It is very unfair, that criticism. Now, I will say this. With all of that being said, I have said I will not do it at all. Because if I say a word that's a little bit off color, a little bit, it ends up being a headline. I will not do it again. I was a very good student at a great school. Not using, by the way, not using profanity is very easy. Right. Okay, Governor uh, Bush, I'd yeah, like to ask I got to respond to this. Well, can I, how about you respond and then you can answer the question I'm about to Sounds ask. Sounds like you. a good plan. It'll be a or you could ask me two questions so I could get 
two minutes instead of one. If we adjudicate this, the night will be over. Governor, in 2012, you said that your father and Ronald Reagan would have a hard time in today's Republican Party based on their records of trying to find accommodation and finding some degree of common ground. Do you still feel that way? I think that the dysfunction in Washington is really dangerous. That's what I think. And we need a proven leader that has a record of solving problems. Someone who doesn't cut and run. Someone who could be a commander in chief to unite our country around common purposes. Someone who doesn't disparage people. Someone that doesn't brag, for example, that he's been bankrupt four times and it was great because he That's, could use uh, the legal system. Uh, let Someone me, let me respond. That's another lie. Of, uh, I never went bankrupt. Hold on, Mr. It's Trump. another lie. But, hold on, no, but it's a lie. This guy, he doesn't campaign. know what he's talking about. We need someone with a Just proven a record to be able to forge consensus to solve problems. And right now, both Republicans and Democrats in Washington don't get it. People are struggling. 63% of Americans can't make a $500 car payment. Most Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. And we need someone who has a proven record of growing the economy, reforming the things that are broken. And I'm that person. Okay. So Donald Trump is the almost 70-year-old man who still talks about what he was like as a student in right. school. <laughs> How long ago? How is that right. relevant anymore at this point? Uh, y- y- it's just not. So anyway, he's well, taking hey, issue. Go ahead. Go ahead. He's taking issue with Jeb Bush saying that he has filed for bankruptcy. That's where I was going. I'm glad but you're going there. Donald Trump has filed for bankruptcy four times. Right, he's What he's talking, the distinction he's making is that it's not personal bankruptcy. His companies filed for bankruptcy. Right. Chapter 11. Right. Bankruptcy. Yes. And he does say that he bent the law of the land to his best business interest. He does try to act like it was some sort of expert business move. Right. So it's not really a bankruptcy because he used the bankruptcy as an expert business move. Well, whatever. (laughs) You still filed bankruptcy. So as the head of any organization or company, you filed for bankruptcy for the company you ran, you owned. It that doesn't show financial stability when it's not like, you know, Apple is filing for bankruptcy. They're successful. They're 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 awesome. They're doing well. No need to file for bankruptcy because they're not failing. Successful businesses don't file for bankruptcy. Anyway, that is all we have for this special Double debate bonus episode. We want to hear from you. 657-464-7609. We appreciate all the feedback we get. You can also email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We will also see you on episode 194 of I Doubt It with Dollamore, which is coming up Monday, the 15th. The next debate is February 25th. It's a Republican debate, CNN. There's six candidates left, getting exciting. And more to drop out as we go along as the primaries end. Thank you guys for joining us. We're back at it. Brittany is at 100%. I am at 100%. We are looking forward to future episodes with you. For Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollimore. This has been Bonus. I doubt it. I'm making a point. You don't automatically know what my point is, D-Hole. <laughs> <laughs>